Hello, and welcome back to the third episode of The Wayward Dragons. We are your hosts. I'm Kelsey. And I'm Johnny. Welcome back to the shit show, everyone. Yes. <clears throat> so, how's everything going with you, Kels? It's going. I got a pilot with me today. Nah. I should apologize for this episode. My dog is quite vocal today. <laughs> <laughs> quite vocal. But, you know, just got off work. You know, it's great. Hey. Living, living the dream. Living that retail dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, How are you feeling? I'm all right. Uh, dealing with a little sinuses lately, so... If I start coughing up a lung, just give me a second. I feel that. My partner just, we just found out that um, my partner has a asthmatic mold allergy. Found that out <laughs> because of work? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. all that mess. Yeah. yeah. He went into a house that was super moldy yeah. and came home and would not stop coughing for like 48 hours. So I had to take him to urgent care. Be feeling better though? <laughs> yeah, they gave him a steroid. Yeah. To like open his lungs up. Yeah. But um no, I just I'm still reading um the graveyard. So but I just what did I just listen to? Um Victorian Secrets on um Audible. Because I have an Audible subscription. It's like a little podcast that um Stephen Let's like talk about name. Victorian era ladies' underwear. No, like um, <laughs> um, like one episode is about um, um, asylums and like how bad the asylums were, um, how pornography really changed in the Victorian era. Um, and just how, like, people kept a lot of things secret, like, super secret, but a lot of things were open, if that makes a lot of sense. Um, that makes sense, because the Victorian era was the, around the time of the birth of a lot of different hermetic groups, and, uh, like, you know, the rebirth of a lot of occult history and such, which is gonna be part of our topic for today. Yeah, hold on, let me... So that's kind of interesting little tie in there. Yeah, it was I forget who it was by. I just finished it the other day. But it's it's an audible exclusive. Because mm-hmm. I listen to stuff at work. Stephen Fry. Stephen Fry's Victorian Secrets. Oh really? Yeah, like he the narrates actor Stephen Fry. Yeah, he narrates the whole thing. That's super um, cool. So it's like twelve ish episodes and they go through a lot of different topics about like um, how open Victorians were about their sexuality, but like they were kind of mildly homophobic at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it was kind of interesting to yeah, listen the Victorian to. Victorian era, the Victorian era is really weird in a lot of aspects. Yeah, uh, we are no way, and I would like to say this though: we are in no way sponsored by Audible or no. by this podcast. I would love to us for for us to be sponsored by Audible. 
I get a free subscription. <laughs> I mean, I, I'd be happy with just a free subscription. <laughs> like, audiobooks are magical, guys. They are. I hate that argument that people make of audiobooks aren't reading. That's like, but I don't have time to sit. Like, well, and you're you're still contributing to the author and appreciating yeah. their artwork. Uh, yeah. I think, especially. So I know a lot of people with, you know, ADHD or with learning disabilities and stuff like that. And Audible makes things so much easier for that, those groups of people, especially mm-hmm. in, you know, nowadays with their everyday life uh, or, you know, your busy everyday life that people have. It, audiobooks are magical and amazing. Yeah. Well, and it's I retain information better if I listen to it uh, versus reading I, it. I actually found a really cool app recently uh, that will take it and read stuff for you. So, like, if you find a PDF online of something, it'll actually read for you. Uh, depending on the format of the PDF and the conditions of it, it can be a little spotty at times, but it is amazing. And uh, they actually have, like, a phone app and everything, and you can take pictures. Oh, you can take so pictures cool. of pages of books, and it'll... Like, basically, you're, like, scanning it, and it'll read to you what the book says. That's cool. Because yeah. I know Kindle does, like, a read-along, mm-hmm. and it sounds like a robot. <laughs> well, so there's, you choose different voices. Some of the voices you have to pay for, but, yeah. I'll, That's uh, really cool. I'll shoot you the name of it after this. That is awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, let's get on with today's topic, shall we? Yes, this is your main episode, sir. Well, it's not my main episode, it, but I'm well, it's all about you. Yeah. Yeah, it's all gonna... about me. It's all about history. It is all um, about the history. So I just for... sit back and relax. <laughs> <laughs> so for our listeners, uh, this is at the, I don't know, BSO, I don't know. So yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, so today we're going to be talking about brief history of the occult and witchcraft. I would like to point out that this is just a brief overview. Uh, there is much, much more history than just this. This is just kind of a uh, outline or a starting point, as you were, for the history of the occult. Um, there is, there is There's so much. So in- much. Yeah, there is so much information out there. Um, this is just kind of meant as like a framing point because in future episodes we're going to be talking about you know certain key topics or certain key individuals and delving more into those particular aspects. So we want to take it and make sure that you have a basic outline. Yes. So I will try not to put people to sleep with this. (laughs) And I apologize if I mispronounce names or time periods because, you know, our English language is not my strong suit. Yeah. So this will uh this will be interesting. Uh so going back to two million five hundred BCE to about and a lot some of a lot of these in the uh BCE and such is approximate dates, but two million five hundred thousand BCE to 13,000 BCE was the Paleolithic period. And so a lot of that was, you know, we had cavemen and stuff. They were working with stone tools. Uh, they would take it and 
you would have you have the early onset of what's known as sympathetic magic where they would take it and they would act out things and draw out things to kind of rehearse or tell stories or prepare for a hunt during that time period around 48,000 uh, to 15,000 BCE was when the indigenous individuals came approximately time period when the uh, indigenous individuals came over to originally settle uh, North and South America. Okay. So this is after Pangea like split up. Yes. Okay. Yes. So uh, this would be, think about roughly the time that you would have for like the ice age movies. Okay. That's a good reference. Uh, Those are great movies. <laughs> so between uh, 13,000 and 8,000 BCE was the Mesolithic, Mesolithic period? That sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, if, if not, that's what we're going with. Uh, <laughs> so during this time period, you had smaller groups of people that started to settle down and farm. Uh, not as like a, an overall, but just like small pockets of individuals they started realizing that, you know, they can diversify their food and diversify what they're eating. And they can start farming and start moving away from just stone tools. Uh, but you see the during that time period, you start to see the birth of goddess base religions. And so uh, you would take it and we found uh, like the... Uh, goddess of Wellendorf, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, where it was actually an effigy of a large-breasted, large-hipped woman, uh, which it's theorized that, uh, you know, this is the beginnings of early religion or the foundation of a lot of early religion from a historical standpoint, uh, where they would worship, you know, the female body or worship the body in general because the female body is what brought life into this world. And so they would take it and they would focus on the aspects uh, that nourished and brought in the life. Well, it's almost like a, a fertility figure is what you start to see. Right. So then getting into the Neolithic period, which was 8,000 to 150 BCE, you start to see the development of early civilization uh, between 9,500 to 8,000 BCE, you start to see, you know, Golbeke Temple in uh, Turkey. You have the Sumerian culture and Sumerian Empire uh, start to rise up. Uh, you start to see the Old Kingdom in Egypt, uh, where the Egyptians start building pyramids and stuff. You have the Manoa period in the Agatean uh, civilization. And then around the, you know, 1500 BCE mark, you see the approximate dates for the building of Stonehenge. Because I know, I know worshiping sacred sites was also something that started happening very right. early on. Right. So they would take it and, uh, through 
because uh, sympathetic magic was a big thing where they would take it, you know, they would have effigies that they would put on plays in ritual and symbolize like this is what's going to happen. You know, you would see you would have an individual who would be representation of, say, the horned god where they would take it and they would have on antlers and be covered in blood or paint to look like blood and they would take it and you would have hunters that would chase and with sticks the horned god to symbolize the you know the hunt and finding food to you know produce the outcome of them having a successful hunt and then being able to provide for uh their people okay that makes sense so uh in about 1200 BCE, you start to see uh, the Celts have a strong influence in France and Germany. Most people, when they think of the Celts, they think of you know, the British Isles. But in reality, they actually had their basis uh, as far as the earliest uh, records we can find. And the uh, earliest artifacts actually are based in mainland Europe. Uh, in about 900 BCE, we start to see the beginnings of, if we come across to the, uh, American continents, you start to see the, uh, Mayan culture start to develop. So in about, you don't see the Celts in the English Isles until about 500 BCE. And that the mythology there is really interesting. Uh, fun fact, the Celts, and we'll get into this when we get into the, some of our mythology episodes, the Celts are one of the few, if not the only, ancient culture without, without a creation story. Especially, yeah. What? They don't have a creation story. They... Oh, yeah. No, it's it's great. Especially in, like, the, especially the Celts of England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, that whole area, there is no creation story. They believe that the individuals, they were waves of people that came into the isles on boats from other lands. That's interesting. I wish everyone oh, yeah. could see my face right now. Like, Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Celtic mythology is really, like, really fun, really interesting. Uh, but it plays into the whole, like, the old washing over, or the new washing over the old and coming in. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Because, like, almost everyone that I've come across, because I've... I have mildly dived into what you are talking about. Mm -hmm. So I know what you're talking about. But everyone has some form of a creation mm -hmm. story. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of interesting and fun. That's uh, interesting. So in about 27 BCE, you see the foundation of what would become, or well, now what would be you see the foundation of the Roman Empire, which stretches out long and far. Uh, of course, Rome itself was there way before, and uh, you know yeah. their military acts spread out. Four <coughs> uh, BCE to about twenty nine CE is the rough estimate of the time period for the historical figure of Jesus of Nazareth. Now, whether you believe the mythos or not behind the, you know, the Christian faith, 
that's neither here nor there. That's the historical time period based off of actual physical records of when Yahshua would have been alive. Yes. Because Jesus' name was actually Yahshua, which is also where we get the name Joshua from. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually had a, I had a fun conversation with one of my Jewish friends recently about that. And uh, basically, if you actually translate his name, his full name, or the, what we call him, uh, it basically translates into English as Oily Josh. Yes. Ew. Oily Josh. <laughs> That's kind of gross. Uh, like if you're translating from the Hebrew. Uh, so. Then, uh, like where do we get Jesus from then? It's a pronunciation type thing. It's So it goes into the whole, you know, copying to rewriting, copying, rewriting thing. And translations changing or pronunciations changing over time. So ancient telephone. Basically, basically. Okay. I mean, look, if you look at some of like the, if we'll have to do an episode on that in itself, but uh, getting into how the Bible is fu- uh, founded and functioned as far as what it is today in the 66 books versus what it originally was and the amount of information that was changed or lost or, you know, whatnot. And why, if you look at old Bibles that are old scrolls that, you know, uh, monks would copy and write. And you see just little like things scribbled in the margins to where they're just bored. And they're like, oh, well, I'm going to draw, you know, some rabbits standing up like people and stabbing somebody because you have all kinds of weird stuff like that in medieval. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. They are. They did get a little weird. Uh, I think it was yeah. more because they were bored. <laughs> no, that's, that's why. It's because they would get bored. I mean, think about it. If you, you know, would take it and get up in the morning, eat breakfast, go milk the cows or goats or whatever, tend the fields for a few hours and then come back, spend the rest of your day just in low candlelight. It's not even good lighting. It's low candlelight. And you're just here writing and copying the same thing over and over and over again, Uh, which is where, you know, your mind starts to wander and you get some really weird verses in there. And, you know, there's some questionable things for uh, biblical scholars that have questioned certain context uh in the bible but that's that's not this that's episode. a whole other thing okay so in around 447 the council of toledo not toledo ohio uh was defined what the devil was and that the devil was an embodiment of evil uh before this you know there was no definition of what the devil was if you look at earlier text it's just the devil quote unquote is defined as the opposer um, there is no no statement saying that, hey, the devil's this evil guy. At this point, when they decided that the devil was an evil guy. Previous to this, he was just the opposition. Uh, so a lot of the ideology from this comes from uh, Zoroastrianism uh, because they had a polarity. They believed that there was a, an absolute light god and an absolute dark god. So a lot of the pol- uh, ideology about you know Satan comes from that. Uh, along with imagery and iconography associated with a number of different pagan horned gods and spirits, such as, you know, Pan, Kurnanos. Okay, so in 476 CE is the general agreed-upon date of the fall of the Roman Empire. 
not to be confused with the Holy Roman Empire that comes up in a later bit. There's, I know there yes. was two. Yeah, so the Roman Empire and the Holy Roman Empire are two different things. Okay. So the Holy Roman Empire came up after... Uh, was that like yes. the East? No, 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 no. So they're, they're not delineated between East and West. So the Holy Roman Empire is when Christianity started having a high influence over Rome. Okay. Because yeah. I know the West fell first, and then the East fell later. That I'm not sure about. That's why I was may, in school. It may have something to do with this. I'm not familiar with that. I know that the during the time period, the Romans had a number of different interactions with different groups of Celts, and quite often the Celts kicked the Romans' asses. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we think of Rome and we think, oh, these guys are great. This was a huge empire, but it's one of those misinformation things that we're taught partial information and not the whole story. Uh, when you you only have the victor's side of things. You don't... Mm-hmm. We right. don't have their records. Well, and it's not even that. The Celts were... They would, you know, they didn't document things as, like, a lot of the Romans did. The Romans had you know, very in-depth written records of everything. The Celts, a lot of it was word of mouth. Uh, Predominantly, it was the Druids or Druids, depending on how you pronounce it, that uh, actually did the recording of records or would take it and communicate with different people. Uh, They were the holy men, the priests, the shaman, shaman, however you want to pronounce that word, of the Celtic people. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So in about 500 CE, Romans leave the British Isles. So again, they're terrified of the Celts because, you know, the Celts are badasses. Okay. So random side quest real fast. Okay. The Romans literally built a wall to Mm -hmm. keep the Scottish out. Yeah. Like that's that's a legitimate thing. Yeah. You can still go see it. Oh, yeah. No, it's yeah. great. It, it makes me happy, and it cracks me up every time I think about <laughs> it. Well, I mean, so you would have these, you know, big guys that, you know, they're men and women that are over six foot tall, you know, six, five, ten to, you know, plus six foot tall. Uh, they would be tattooed with blue ink covering their body because it was homemade ink, and it's like stick and poke. And they would come into battle stark naked. So, I mean, you got a bunch of men and women that are blue. You know, a good number of them have red hair, which, you know, that's a very big offset there. Uh, but, you know. I'm pasty white skin. Blue people with ginger hair, stark naked, screaming at you. And you're, you know, the high- Romans? I would run. Generally speaking, a lot of Romans were not that tall. I mean, even to this day, Italians are known for their shorter, diminished stature. So it's, you know, it's genetics. They're, you know, they were shorter. It's mm-hmm. it's part of the thing. And then a lot of other, like, you know, groups in Europe that were shorter, and they were going up against these Celts that were freakish, freakingly huge, freakishly huge, that they looked like they were fighting against giants. And, mm-hmm. you know for lack of better words, you had these naked guys swinging pipe, 
coming at you to stab you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Still to this day, I mean, I don't know a single listener out there who would not see a screaming naked blue person running to towards them with a sword and would not turn and run the other way. <laughs> like, let's be honest. <laughs> so, back on track. <laughs> so... In about 800 CE, you had the foundation of the Holy Roman Empire, which was when they started doing the uh, heavy influence from Christianity. So in about 1231 CE, you had the beginnings of the medieval inquisitions, where, you know, this was about the time where, you know, they would start looking into, this isn't the burning times yet, but this is the time where they would start looking into and going on the beginning stages of the witch hunts and trying to find where the witches are, where the witches be, yo. That'll uh, be that'll be a series. Maybe we'll do that next October. Well, there's actually a great documentary on that uh, that I have cited in my sources that I completely forgot to mention that I'll get to at the end of the episode. But there's a, a great documentary on netflix called witches a century of murder i think i've watched that it's a documentary series and it goes into detail about uh the burning times and such Uh, it's an interesting time it is but it is something that always makes me super uncomfortable and with with obvious reasons i mean it's a genocide of of people ancestors yeah Yeah. it's genocide of people but pulling it closer to home it's a genocide of my ancestors it's a genocide of my people in multiple aspects and it's i mean it's not something that's fun to think about no so about 1300 ce to 1521 ce you had the aztec empire which of course that took a major hit when the Spaniards came over Mm -hmm. and started, you know, massacring native people. Uh, Well, and you, you bring smallpox too. Well, smallpox came with the later settlers. Oh, that's right. The later one. Yep. So that's when they were, you know, murdering indigenous people and giving them all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We'll go in. I find the Aztecs very interesting just because of the human aspect of it. Yeah. Well, it's, but well, it's a lot of it. Like, it's colonization in general. A lot of it, you have to look at the human aspect, and it's. Well, it's, and everyone thinks that they sacrificed normal humans, like everyday people. And well, so that wasn't the, the case. With the Aztecs? Yes. So they're. They didn't just say, you know, hey, we're going to grab this person to grab this person. Some of the so their ideology there uh, was that, you know, the gods gave humanity the blood of life, the liquid of life. So they mm-hmm. felt it was their duty and part of their belief that they should give it back to uh, the gods. So <clears throat> they would take it. They would, you know, they would sacrifice war criminals or people they've captured during uh battles and stuff they would have people who you know they would take it and say hey you know you're gonna be our next sacrifice but here we'll give you this year that you know whatever you want you can have all this stuff and so they would take it and they would honor these people a lot of these people and you know if they weren't if they were their own people they would honor them and you know give them whatever they 
wanted and bless them similar to like what they did with Rodel Dorado mm -hmm. uh, where they would take it and they were like, Oh, you're going to be the sacrifice. So we're going to take it and we're going to bless you. And so you're nurtured and properly taken care of and happy. So you have happy blood, happy energy, whatever, however you want to yep. phrase it before they give that over. Um, so from 1330 to 1418, we have the life of the famous uh, French scribe and manuscript seller, Nicholas Flamel. Yes. Kelsey, do you know who Nicholas Flamel is? He's not just a Harry Potter character. He's not just a Harry Potter character. He's also not just a character from the you know, Nicholas Flamel book series. Yes. Uh, so he was a famous uh, manuscript seller, famous scribe who after his death, he built a reputation. Yes, he built a reputation after his death. A lot of people um, do that. Yeah, so he was heavily involved in alchemy, uh, and a lot of people actually believe that, and this is where he ties into Harry Potter, mm -hmm. um, is it's believed that he actually found the cure, or the Philosopher's Stone, or yep. as they call it in America, the Sorcerer's Stone for the Harry Potter fans, uh yes and therefore achieved immortality yes that's where he ties into the harry potter books mm -hmm. yep uh he wasn't so, just the headless ghost folks <laughs> it's a good movie ish so in 1400 or yeah 1400 was roughly the start of the burning times uh, so it's when you started seeing a law, a lot of laws starting to get passed uh, against witchcraft and stuff. You have like the that. major, the major hunt that happened in Britain. Right, right. So, well, we'll be getting into that a little bit in a little bit. But, uh, but in fourteen thirty-eight to fifteen thirty-three, you had the Inca Empire. Uh, so the Incas, the Aztecs, and the Mayans. I know, you know the thought process is that they were you know all the same empire they were somehow linked that's completely different they are well, not the same yeah while they have a lot of people because misinformation don't understand that uh so in 1478 you had the start of the spanish inquisition which nobody expects <laughs> they don't expect the spanish inquisition nobody expects the spanish inquisition <laughs> Sorry, guys, my nerdy side came out there a little bit. <laughs> um, so in 1486, uh, Heimrich Kramer, and I'm probably not pronouncing that, that first name right. Though. It's German. I, again, am not the best at languages. Uh, so I apologize. Uh, wrote or published his manuscript called Malchus. Uh, Maricarum, Maleficarum, Malicus Maleficarum. And so what this translates to is the Witch's Hammer. And it had information in it on how to identify a witch, how to prosecute a witch, and all this other crazy shit. Uh, you can actually still get it in print today. Yes. But during the time, so this was after Gutenberg invented the printing press. And so during the time period, the two main printed books in Europe were the Christian Bible mm -hmm. and the Mal 
Malekith's Mirakar. Yep. So, I mean, it's the information went out there, went crazy. And basically it says, hey, if you don't like someone and you want them to be a witch, you know, you could literally just point to here, here, and here and say that they're a witch. Or, yep. hey, if someone's a drain on society, they're a witch. If you have a woman who is over marrying age and refuses to get married, she's a witch. If yep. you have a woman whose husband has died and uh, this is uh, and she's a drain on the community because they're have, helping take care of her, she's a witch. Yep. If a woman ha- doesn't have enough kids, she's a witch. If she has too many kids, she's a witch. If she has too many cats, she's a witch. Uh, you also see, you also see in this time period. Uh, a lot of women that have gained social power and stuff. And so you have a lot of patriarchal ideology that's pushed in here through, like what you do with a lot of other stuff, uh, where they're trying to take power away from women. And so they have things in place to manipulate the information to whether they are practicing the old craft or not, they can manipulate facts around to take power away from these women. Yep. Uh, so in 1527 to 1608, you have the famous John D. Uh, John D. has actually showed up in a lot of popular culture recently, but he was also in the Nicholas Flamel, uh, book series, which yes. is a great young adult series. Uh, I have not overall, read that it's, it's enjoyable. Uh, I, I put it up there with Percy Jackson. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's it's only I think six books, but it's enjoyable. Okay, because that's that's another thing I hate about a lot of readers is it's young adult. I don't care if I'm almost thirty. If it's a good book, I'm gonna read it. <laughs> I don't care if it's young adult. When Kelsey and I worked together, we actually worked with a woman who was reading the Percy Jackson books, and mm-hmm. like she, oh, she's probably got as. She probably she's probably got ten years on us, if not more, ten to fifteen years. Oh, on us. fifteen. She's, yeah, so she's she's a bit older than us, and she was reading them, and that's kind of how I got introduced to, you know, Uncle Rick and his wonderful writing style and his inclusion into books. I I love Rick Riordan's books. He's an amazing author. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Side quest. Side quest. <laughs> Uh, so, John Dee was an English mathematician, astronomer, astrologer, teacher, occultist, alchemist, blah, 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 a bunch of other titles. Um, but he was the court astronomer and advisor for Queen Elizabeth I and spent much of his time on alchemy, divination, and hermetic philosophy. Yes, that is right. So, during this time period where you had people who were outlawing witches in different courts actually had, you know, court uh, advisors and stuff that would be practicing witchcraft yep. that they would take and they'd condemn a normal person for, but it's okay yep. because it's for the king or queen and it's sanctioned. Yep. Uh, it's the queen. She can do whatever she wants. So, <laughs> uh, and, 1542 CE, you had the uh, Henry VIII passed the Acts Against Witchcraft, which defined witchcraft as a felony, a crime punishable by death. Uh, 
and you would get you would have to forfeit basically they would take because uh, you're not really forfeiting anything they're just taking it but yeah they would take any goods that you had or cattle and literally if they say hey you're practicing witchcraft i'm gonna take your stuff and there's nothing you can do about it at any nope. point in time they take your sheet um in 1563 queen elizabeth the first enacted acts against witchcraft uh which was the act against conjuring enchantments and witchcraft it may cause anyone to be killed or destroyed quote unquote by witchcraft punishable by death which means that if someone dies and they're like hey uh you know Francis down the road, you know, he I saw him looking at her, giving her the dirty eye the other day. He's obviously killed her for, with, with witchcraft, so you gotta kill him. You see that a lot, I think, in more little towns. Yeah. yeah. I feel like. But I think there was a recent story. Not like, it's in the 20th century, where they pulled one of the laws from one of those two acts, to prosecute someone. Yeah, and it's it's not unheard of, and you still have like. No, I'm talking know, like recently. Oh yeah, no, it's like it's, not it's crazy. Of. You still have crazy stuff like that, which you know, in the 50s, I believe it was 53. I don't have it listed, like 1953. I don't have it listed on here. Uh, was when I don't think I have it listed on here, but was when the witchcraft uh, acts were finally repealed in the UK actually may have it on here now that I think about it. Uh, but anyways, so 1590s King James, the first of Scotland had a huge fear of witchcraft. So this is the guy who made the King James Bible. Yep. And arranged it and added certain things in there. Like the verse thou shall not suffer a witch to live. The original translation is thou shall not suffer a liar to live. But this guy was so terrified of witches, and he was afraid of that, like, witches were hexing him and doing bad things to him. Oh, he was crazy. That he went completely off the rails. Uh, but so he began stirring up national panic, uh, resulting in torture and death of thousands. Thousands of people. Especially um, that one guy. His name begins with, like, an M. It's like Matt, Mark. Bob, something like that. Bob does not begin with an M. Nope, it doesn't. I know. <laughs> but it's like a normal name. Mark or something. He was a main guy that killed a lot of people. And then they killed him. Because they found out that a lot of his prosecutions were fake. Are you talking about uh, Matthew Hopkins? Yes. Because that's the next thing on my itinerary to cover. So... So in 1645, Matthew Hopkins proclaimed himself Witchfinder General, which basically yes. means he put on a big hat and said, oh, I can tell you exactly who the witches are. I'm in charge here, and went around and started pointing fingers at a bunch of people who were supposedly witches, uh, which resulted in a shit ton of people dying. Yes. Big surprise. You got someone who takes power, that has some sort of prejudice, and people die. Oh, yeah. Uh, and 1692 to 1693 was the time period during the Salem witch trials here in the United States. 
Um, interestingly enough, and it's this is so this is typically the big thing that's covered in a lot of schools in America, which is really weird because. Uh. Well, it's well. So, uh, having to do with anything with the burning times, it's like a glance over, though. It's it's a. Small, it's like we're gonna we're gonna put our toe in the pool. Yeah, and that's so it. It's basically like, like a mark to say, "Hey, we covered this." Yes. Um, and while it was a tragedy, uh, it's like a number of other things where they focus on little pieces of certain things and ignore yes. other pieces of other things. Well, they don't. They don't focus on the whole of it. Right. Of there's a lot of undercurrent things that were going on at the time. Right. Of like how you were saying earlier, they prosecute certain people of society. Mm-hmm. And you, you have to look at that big whole picture. And also going down the rabbit holes of possible theories of well, why this happened. So one of the fun crazy. theories, one of the fun theories that I love is that uh, moldy bread. Yes. I love that one. <laughs> moldy, moldy rye bread. Which is like, you know, because the fermentation caused hallucinations with people. And yes. uh, they were tripping balls and thought they saw all this stuff. So they're like, hey, we're going to kill these people. <laughs> Which I th- think is hilarious. It's in like a tragic, weird way. But like, it is funny from an ironic standpoint. Yes. So... In 1692 to 1693, like I said, were the Salem Witch Trials. Approximately 150 people were accused. Miraculously, only, and I say only because the 500, or 150, sorry, 150 people, which was a good portion of the town of Salem Mm -hmm. at that time period, uh, only 19 people were hanged. Which, that's a small fraction of people. Which, yeah, 14 women and 5 men. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were actually no people burnt to death during the Salem Witch Trials. There were people who died during uh, trials or during when they would literally torture people to admit that they're something. I mean, that's yes. literally like punching somebody repeatedly in the face until they agree with you is, or you know, a lot worse. They would take it and they would uh, brand people repeatedly or oh, lash yeah. them or you know, just. Break bones, all sorts of other stuff. It's horrible. <clears throat> In 1735, the Witchcraft Act of 1735 was issued by Parliament, uh, which made it a crime for a person to claim that a human, human being had magical powers or was guilty of practicing witchcraft. So the interesting flip side of this is now it's illegal to accuse people of witchcraft. Yes. Which I find funny in an ironic way. Well, it's it makes me wonder partly what King George had going on with that. I know the popular stance is that we became more and more involved with the sciences and you know, he thought it was a big bunch of garbage and that witchcraft is not accurate or anything like that. But I kind of wonder what he had going on. So in 1834, we had the suppression of the Spanish Inquisition. So it started in, Spanish Inquisition started in 1478 and did not end until 1834. That's a long time. That is a long ass time for going around. Yeah. 
1875, this is one of Kelsey's favorite topics, the founding of the Theosophical Society. I do want to cover this. And actually, there are locations in a lot of major cities for mm-hmm. the Theolo- uh, Theosophical Society. I found this out randomly when I was looking up stuff, and apparently there's one about 45 minutes from my house. Yeah. Uh, so it is a worldwide body with an aim to advance the ideas of theosophy and uh, continuation of previous theosophists, especially the Greek Alexandrian Neoplatoic philosopher dating back to 3rd century CE. That was a mouthful. That was a mouthful. Uh, so Helena Petron... Helena Petrova Blavatsky. There you uh, go. It's Russian. I apologize. I should have asked my Russian friend the proper way to pronounce that first. Uh, She's an awesome lady. Yes. Colonel Henry Still Alcott, William Queen Quan Quan. William Kwan Judge and 16 others were the founding members. Uh, again, this still exists today. Mm-hmm. In approximately 1888, the foundation of the Gold- Hermetic Order of Golden Dawn. Uh, so the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is a Hermetic Order that practices occult, metaphysical, and paranormal activity. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Crowley, or Crowley, depending on how you want to pronounce it, was actually involved in that, allegedly. In 1890, Sir uh, James George Frazier published The Golden Bough, which was a, essentially it was an essay type book but i have a copy of it and not even kidding you it's about three inches thick how was that an essay (laughs) (laughs) that's a book so it's the root uh the roots of religion folk and folklore but yeah so fun fun read uh if anyone gets a chance gets a chance to read it and enjoys reading books like the cimmerillion I had to listen to that on audio. That I think you can. I think you can actually find this on Audible as well. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a long read, um, but it goes into the morals, evolution of humanity and civilization from different parts of the world, and how they interlink, and how we have similar themes across cultures. That being said. Uh, there are speculations and that there's a vast amount of misinformation in certain parts of it. And the individual who's helping him with the book may have fed him a bunch of poppycock while doing it. Some of the information has been misproven. Some of it has been proven correctly. So take it as a grain of thought, a grain of salt. Interestingly enough, though, it is. Uh, some of the information did help shape modern practices for 
modern day witchcraft and Wicca. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. <coughs> Along with a few books that I'll be mentioning here in a few minutes. Uh, so in 1898, Aleister Crowley or Crowley, depending on your pronunciation, joined the Order of the Golden Dawn. In 1899, Aradia, Gospels of a Witch, was char- was published by Charles Godfrey Leland, who supposedly was given the book, uh, it was supposedly a manuscript of the life of Aradia, who was the alleged goddess of the, alleged daughter of the goddess Diana, and it's supposedly the four mother of modern witchcraft Hmm. again this there's a lot of information that's been misproven in there uh there's some that's spectacle that's not the word i'm looking for i mean you have that a lot i think during that time especially i feel like during the burning times because you you don't want well, this you was, don't want it to be true, but it was after. Yeah, this was after. But you have uh, this spiritual movement that starts to happen around this time, too. Right, so, and anytime you anything like that, you have a lot of random information coming out. Uh, yeah. In 1921, you have the third book I'll mention that has a tie-in to modern witchcraft, and that is The Witch Cult in Western Europe by Dr. Margaret Murray. Uh, so there's this was a speculation and allegations of a surviving witch cult that lasted through you know the millennia basically that was underground in Europe. Uh, a lot of this information has been misproven. Some of it is still used, and like I said, is heavy influence on uh, a lot of modern Wicca and occult practices Hmm. and it's also some of the places where we get a little bit of all three of these books where we get a little bit of negative ideology through history uh of course along with the malicus maricarum which is uh and in 1939 gerald gardner who is the credited by most to be the founder of modern day Wicca uh, was initiated into witchcraft in 1951. So this is on. Yes. Initiated into witchcraft. Yes. So like he got accepted into a coven before. How How does that yeah, so basically, uh, going into his story, allegedly he went into a coven or was accepted into a coven. Uh, this would have been one of the existing covens that survived through that Margaret Murray would have been talking about that may or may not have existed. There's speculations on both end of this. There are people who get very aggressive if you try to disprove them like people do. Uh, but there are there's misinformation going both ways on it. Okay. Uh, okay. In 
1951, England's Witchcraft Act was repealed, which means that at this point, you could laws against witchcraft were gone. You do whatever you want. And that's uh, <laughs> they'll find something to accuse you with. In 1953, Gardner formed his own coven. And in 1954, Witchcraft Today by Gerald Gardner was published, which was the first published quote-unquote credible book of witchcraft, which is literally outlines what uh, modern Wicca would be today. Gotcha. So in... 1964, the uh, archaeological discoveries were found that would relate back to the goddess-oriented prehistoric uh, religions. And 1972, and this is actually a big, big thing. Uh, well, I mean, a lot of these are big things, but in 1972, the U.S. Internal Revenue Service recognized witchcraft as a religion and granted it tax exempt status as a church or for churches and schools of Wicca. Yes. So, so this is a huge, huge thing because that means that at this point, anyone who identifies with this thought process or this theology, if they are given any grief, are now under a collected uh, protected class and cannot be fired from work or have any kind of discrimination against them based off this belief. Mm -hmm. So yes. th th this is a huge, huge thing. And it actually puts security in place for a lot of people. Yes. I also like to add pretty sure the um, satanic temples, the main church, they are they choose to pay taxes and not be tax exempt like most churches. Not surprised. Not surprised. So that, like, they're like, yeah. I saw a tweet on Twitter one time where it's like, yeah, we do pay our taxes. Not like yeah, all these other churches. It was when that, um, that, uh, that mega priest, whatever his name is, that million dollar famous priest was There's in the There's a bunch again. of rich evangelicals that are all assholes and they're all sexist and racist and all that fun stuff, but we won't get into all that. No. I just like it's interesting that the yeah. Satanic Temple pays taxes. <laughs> and uh, in 1973, Raymond Buckland founded the... I can't pronounce this for the life of me. Seax Wicca tradition. <laughs> so this was the basically the first... American-founded Wiccan tradition, uh, so that, you know, it's, he was initiated into Gardnerian tradition, and took a lot of those practices, a lot of those teachings, and kind of incorporated a lot of different things into it, uh, but here in the States. Where did, where was it happening before? Well, so, most before that was a lot, a lot of the people followed the Gardnerian or Alexandrian traditions. So this was the first like actual American tradition. Okay. So uh yeah, he's Raymond Buckland. There's actually he's from Ohio. Uh a lot of great people come from Ohio. To quote 
<laughs> Bowling for soup. There's nothing wrong with Ohio. Oh, except the <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of things. <laughs> Listen, Ohio has a lot of wonderful uh, landmarks, including the Field of Corn. And by the Field of Corn, I'm not talking about the fact that literally two thirds no. of the state is nothing but cornfields. I'm talking no, about no. There's literally, literally cement. Corn. It's literally cement. Yes. Yes. But you drive through Dublin and all of a sudden you come on <laughs> cement corn cops. <laughs> so bizarre. Uh so yeah. That was uh that was founded. Uh because he was unhappy with a lot of the dissatisfaction and corruption and abuse that took place in some of the other traditions. Uh that were not being dealt with properly. Mm, and never. yeah, unfortunately, I mean, in every theology you have that just some it's worse than others and some try to hide it. Yes. In 1979, <coughs> the reclaiming tradition was founded. Uh, the rela- reclaiming tradition is, is a neo-pagan tradition or, you know, it's, Oh, type of Wiccan tradition that was founded by two women of Jewish descent, Starhawk and Diane Baker. Her uh, name was Starhawk. That yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm a abs- absolutely awesome woman. Uh, she actually has some really awesome books uh, out. But hmm. uh. Yeah, so their whole purpose and their whole ideology there was to put a more heavy focus on the feminist ideology of neo-paganism. And, you know, there's been several others through the ages, like the Dianic tradition. I don't remember the exact year that that was founded. And that's, yeah, we'll do a whole episode on just different traditions and stuff. Uh, Oh, yeah. But... And here's so moving up one of my favorite topics uh, here. <laughs> the 1980s to 1990s was this mass hysteria that took over the United States and a couple other parts of the world known as the Satanic Panic. The lovely Satanic Panic. And this involves this the short version. There was a lady who Uh, Her therapist did hypnotherapy on her and brought all these old memories out, allegedly. And she was brought up in this satanic witchcraft cult. And so, you know, they started looking at all these different things and some names that were dropped. And it tied into a preschool that started getting investigated. And they started questioning children and doing leading questions with children and apparently they would take it and fly these children out of the country to have sexual acts done on them and bring them back. Well, within a school day, uh, they would sacrifice kittens and puppies and all sorts of other baby animals yeah. in front of them in the classroom. They would make the children set in tanks full of baby sharks and all sorts of other crazy shit. Um, of course, the heavy metal movement uh, tied into this as well oh, because they were devil yeah. worshippers. Oh, especially and, uh, the um, the Norwegian. Yeah. 
So that tied into it. And of course, you have all these young kids that are like, hey, this is going to piss off my mom. Hell, Satan. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they would take it and they would, you know, do inverted pentagrams, painted places, and all sorts of other crazy stuff. Uh, well, and then, of course, D&D uh, mm -hmm. got a heavy hit on it because, you know, fighting monsters and demons and stuff. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from having to do with the satanic panic was actually in a newscast i think it was it may have been on 60 minutes but allegedly these parents and here's the best i can remember the quote so it's not an exact quote but from the newscaster was these parents witnessed their child summoning a dungeon and dragons demons into his bedroom and then killing himself what yeah yeah no this was this was on the news this like if you watch any of the news reports from back then, this was all over the place. You know, the incitement of stranger danger where all oh, your child will be kidnapped and molested and sacrificed to Satan. Oh, and yeah. All this other crazy shit. So anyone who grew up in the 80s or 90s dealt with seeing this stuff all the time and all oh, of yeah. the pure hysteria and fear that was driven into us from these things. And it's. Oh, yeah. It's. Oh. So it's, it's I, a, fun, a it's lot a fun of that. Topic. I still don't, a lot of that. I still do. Like, like someone made a comment the other day about stranger danger. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but that's not actually a thing. They did a study but, and statistically speaking, you're more like, well, one, you're more likely to get kidnapped, kidnapped by, by a relative, but two, two, you could put a, you know, they're worried about children being out and being kidnapped by someone. You could take a child and put them on any given street corner and they would have to sit there. They did like the statistics and all. They did the math. And it was over a hundred years the child would have to sit there before they had a hundred percent guarantee that they would get taken. Yeah, no, like it's yeah. The child would have to sit there for a hundred <laughs> years before they're a hundred percent taken. Uh so yeah. Crazy, crazy, crazy. That was stuff. a crazy time. Yeah. I mean, I still I still do a lot of those things. Yeah. But like, so and you know you saw it through media you saw it through oh movies. yeah and you know you we, we'll, we're still seeing that i mean the witch or the occultist is always the token bad guy and a lot of things because of you know the history uh, which is why i find this so fascinating but especially during that time period with all the horror movies and stuff that came out and oh yeah you, know, uh, you had like a bunch of serial killers that said oh we're doing it for satan I mean, like the Night Stalker oh. and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's pure craziness. Uh, Charles so, Manson. Well, Manson was a he whole was a different. Whole other level of crazy. That's a With that's the, a whole animal. And the so, um, the original Night Stalker. He. Yeah. I want to say is was it his forehead? He carved a pentagram in it before a trial. I don't know about that i know manson carved a swastika in his forehead yeah oh he did it after manson so it was a. Uh, it was yeah he did it in his forehead yeah or like his hand or something i think it was it's probably his hand that sounds more familiar but it, it could was... be a it could be a mandala effect um yeah so in 2007 the u.s department of veteran affairs added pentagrams along with a list of other pagan symbols to the approved symbols on veterans headstones uh so this this yeah so this really? 2007 yeah that's recent that is super <laughs> fucking recent so that was with yet yeah, a lot of that was thanks to the efforts of you know there's a lot of folks but uh 
Selena Fox, who is an amazing, beautiful soul, and she is an absolute joy. Uh, if you, if anyone who's listening has ever worked with her or done any classes with her, any workshops or anything, she is absolutely amazing. She actually fairly often, if you follow her on social media, she does streams of like meditations and stuff. But absolutely, she is such an amazing, beautiful soul. Uh, but her working with uh, Circle Sanctuary, which is a sanctuary that she founded, that it's like a, it's absolutely gorgeous. If you like, I've never been there. I've seen the pictures and stuff, but it's absolutely gorgeous. It's a, you know, a facility slash just I guess area reserve sanctuary um, for pagan practices and stuff. And they host all sorts of different types of practices. They do different types of classes and stuff there. So, but she is absolutely amazing. Uh, but so she was the one that really pushed for that. She pushes for a lot of things with, you know, the military and veteran affairs and stuff. But she was the big proponent in that. Uh, she is huge when it comes to making sure that, you know, the occult, members of the occult community are treated equally with everyone else. Yeah, we're not scary people. So, so that brings us up to 2007. So what now? You know, history is being written every day. Everything you do, it everything you do is history coming, you know, at you from moment to moment. So, and I'm sure some of you are asking, you know, there's a lot of information here and there's a lot we didn't cover and there's a lot that we're going to go through in later episodes. Oh, uh, yeah. So, For I, mean, sure. I know a lot of people are asking, you know, what do I do now? You know, I have this information. Well, learn from history, you know. There's, we're going to be going more into detail in later episodes. We're going to, I, I encourage every single one of you who's listening to do your own research, you know, learn stuff for yourself because there is nothing more valuable than knowledge. Yes. There is absolutely nothing out there more valuable than knowledge. Try the best you can. You know, things aren't going to be successful 100% of the time. Things, you're not going to get the results you want 100% mm -hmm. of the time. Nope. But try the best you can. Just keep doing it. Learning from history. Uh, don't worry about titles. Don't worry about, well, I want to be the grand poobah of the, the thing. I, I don't know. <laughs> first, anyways, don't don't worry about that. Those things come with time. If that's your calling, oh, yeah. then pursue that. You know, find a teacher, you know, pursue that. But don't make that title your focus. Make no. the journey your focus. Make the experience yes. your focus. Worry about getting there. Um you know, write things down in a journal, you know, journal mm -hmm. writing. I've said it before. It's so important. You know, you are writing the history. I yes. am writing the history. We are all writing the history. Yes. You know, you may be listening to this and think, you know, oh, well, you know, never do anything. Well, that doesn't matter. You're not doing this because you're supposed to do something. You're not trying to be an influencer. If you're trying to be an influencer, then this isn't what you you should be focusing on you know this isn't about influencing people this is about becoming one with yourself this is about becoming one with you know your ideology of divinity and you know i'm gonna get off my soapbox here in a second so i apologize <laughs> <laughs> i'm starting You're to sound fine. i'm starting to sound like a southern baptist preacher uh but no so don't you know if you're doing this, if you've found this path through, you know, 
social media, through TikTok, through whatever. That's I was great. like, witch talk is becoming very popular right now. Exactly. It's a lot of misinformation. You got to well, do your research. That's, that's, that's the thing is, you know, there's a lot of misinformation out there. Do your research. Don't, you know, it's, it's okay to try something. I'm yeah. not knocking trying something. And, you know, the effect of that trying we'll get into in one of our later episodes when we go into the hermetic principles, because that's yes. a whole foundation for, you know, magic and ideology thought process itself. But don't get hung up on that. Don't get hung up on, you know, this is where you want to be. Okay, that's great if that's your goal. But while your goal may be over here, you still have to drive there. You know, you can't yeah. go, you can't go, I'm going to the mall and then just be at the mall. You have to no. take the road to the mall. It's, so a, it's a huge journey. It is. And it's never ending. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've been on this journey for years and, you know, I still have a long way to go. It's nothing instantaneous. And while you may feel a calling to something, you know, pursue that. But the, the end goal is not what it's about. You know, there's there's a constant joke that's made in the nerd community, especially with D and D players, is well, maybe the real treasure is the friends we made along the way. Yes. You know, it's the real treasure, the real journey, the real you can't succeed in where you're going unless you learn from your history and unless you practice, unless you, you know, take the step by step process. You can't just delve into something uh while it may work. Do you know why it worked? Do you know why things were successful? Mm -hmm. You know, you, it's important to know these things so you can take it and make yourself more at home and ensure that that outcome comes again. I mean, you have yes. books that are like one, 10,001 spells. That's great. But, you know, why would those spells work? Are you just going to yep. pick a spell at random and say, uh, this one, because I need money. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's not that simple, you know. No. While while it may work, you need to know the intent of what you're doing. You know why. So do your research, learn, learn, well, learn, learn. And one thing I am finding is this path is very unique. It's unique to you. You know what works for me may not work for you. Well, you know, you'll like have in that. that and yeah. I think that's also a very interesting part is the occult spiritual <coughs> witchcraft path is something that you can make very much something for yourself. Right. And so it's, like, yeah. I mean, you'll have that. You'll have, you know, you'll have people all along the way saying, that's not how you do something. That's not how you yeah, do something. Yeah. You know what? Try it that way. Try it that way. See if that works for you because this is, this is your connection with the divine. But at the same time, you know, just because someone says don't do it that way, and or you know that you want to do it that way always listen to input of others you know don't you can't don't take it and take all the toxic information that they give you but make sure you're doing your research make sure you find what works for you because yeah. this is your path and that's ultimately i mean this is the whole reason why i'm here this is the whole reason why i'm setting up my computer you know yep. so why we're making a podcast <laughs> is you know to try and get that information out there. I don't know everything. Kelsey doesn't no. know everything. You know, no, I do not. <laughs> any, I went to, a few years ago, we had a, there was a huge, huge uh, pagan music festival. And so the coven I was a part of at the time 
and our sister coven who was like from a different state came in uh we met at the thing uh and the high priest from the sister coven said something and it's the most true thing i have ever heard and it's something i think it's i it's the one big thing i got out of that whole music festival uh with the exception of i met you know a really good friend of mine there but it's the one big thing that i got from that music festival and it's the fact that you know anyone who claims to be an expert nine times out of ten is a complete idiot yes <laughs> because i mean if anyone claims to know everything about something they don't now if someone else says they're an expert that's a completely different subject uh mm -hmm. and you know that goes into the whole you have to do what's like ten thousand hours of the want something to be considered an expert at it that's oh yeah poppycock i mean you it takes more than that on a lot of things uh but yeah oh, so yeah. If, if someone says this is the only way to do it you know if that's no. your tradition and that's what you want to follow then that's great but that's not the only way there are multiple paths oh, for yeah. multiple different people i think it was the dalai lama who said there are many paths but one end yep you know it's you yeah. know that's that's the well, note you, i want to leave it on but, yes yeah that's a very, well and it's like you you can take parts from other people's things right you know what they say to you you know you can take one part from one person one part for another and that might be what works for you mm -hmm. this path is very customizable and i think that with how social media is and how we have been kind of <sighs> raised of what we should do and what we shouldn't be doing i think people really they don't realize that you have a lot of options yeah. on how to do a lot of different things. Yeah. And so, the, I mean, the key thing there is don't cultural appropriate, of course. Yes. But, you know, if you're interested in something, find a teacher. If mm -hmm. you need to find a teacher, if you can't find a teacher, read as many books as you can. Educate yourself. Yeah. You are making the history. Yep. Yes. So I'm going to get off my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> Because I wasn't intending on going on that long of a rant on that. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's so, fine. Everything is fine. So, for our next episode, we will be covering the traditions of Halloween, how we got there, and to tie in with that, the traditions of Samhain, because that's where we get a lot of our Halloween traditions and how they all tie in it will be coming out after the holiday so just because of our timing and schedules it's just it's it'll be after the holiday mm -hmm. so on that note please rate review and subscribe we will greatly appreciate it you can find us now on our facebook page of the wayward dragons and we do have an email, thewaywarddragons at gmail.com. If we have missed a pronunciation, um, you want to send us a topic or uh, like your personal haunting story. If you have a creepy story that you would like to share with the world, please send them to us. 
Or if you just want to tell us how good looking you think we are, since you can't see us. <laughs> I mean, compliments are always good. <laughs> compliments are always great. Van art would be really funny to see of like what you think we look Ooh, like based yeah. on our voices. Yeah, so based off our voices and our knowledge, that's that's what I want. I want people to submit fan art <laughs> to us and with your permission, we'll post them on the page because I would love to see what you guys think we look like. Yes, no As friends and family. Friends and family, you cannot submit. No, because you know what we look like. I hope so, but you know. Uh, so as, a, as a point of reference, though, just to give you guys an idea, uh, I'm the black dragon and Kelsey's the purple one. Yes. So My cat is orange. That, that, that's really not going to help you with anything, but I figured it'd be interesting to say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. My cat is orange. My, so, my little baby Apollo. So until next time, you kids stay spooky. See ya.